It's so fun to be here this morning and to be a part of what God is doing and just beginning. And it was fun, as Drew said, on the retreat to, to just see and uh, be a part of, of what God is doing at kind of the ground level. Um, it was, I was on a vacation a couple of years ago and I read Steve Jobs' biography and there was one point in back in like the, the mid-80s, you guys remember um, Pepsi was kind of reinventing themselves, those of you that were around in 1985, not many of you probably in this room uh, could remember this, but uh, Pepsi was reinventing themselves and, and the CEO was kind of a big deal, rising star, and Steve Jobs uh, sat down with him, he said, hey, um, if you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life, go ahead. But if you want to change the world, come be a part of what we're doing. We're going to change the world. And this guy found this vision compelling. And so he actually jumped in with Steve Jobs, and guess what? They changed the world, didn't they? They did, right? But here's the problem. Steve Jobs is dead, right? And what he lived for is not going to outlast the grave for him. And what you guys are a part of, it's not, I mean, it's better than selling sugar water, right? But it's better than changing the world with iPhones. It's a part of something that is going to matter not just 40 years from now, but 40 million years from now. And you guys are a part of it. And one of those students, he was telling me, one of the students that Drew was talking about, he said, he said, in my heart, I want this to be true. But I just can't believe it yet. Let's be praying that God would, would use that guy to someday be leading a salt company, planting a church, being a part of this, this eternally uh, significant work that God is doing. And, and this weekend, we were in the book of Ephesians, and this is my favorite book of the Bible. And, and the book of Ephesians, uh, one of the key verses in, is in chapter 3, verse 10, and it says this. It says that God's intent, his intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's, what, what Paul is saying is that, that the church is God's big idea. It's like God's big, best idea that he's ever come up with was like the church. God invented the church. He started the church, and, and it was like his brilliant idea. And some of you are like, that's the best he could do? Right? I mean, I've, I've experienced church, right? It's, uh, it wasn't a great experience, and I, maybe you're here giving it another shot. And so, um, but there's something about us doing life together around the cross of Christ that displays the infinite wisdom of God, as Paul says. In chapter 1, verse 10, this is kind of a key verse in Ephesians, it says that that. He is going, when the times are going to reach their fulfillment, he's going to bring everything together in heaven and on earth together. He's going to bring it together in unity under Christ Jesus. 
And so if you, if you think about this, um, the church, this is what we were talking about on the retreat this weekend, and this is kind of almost like session four, as it were. So I want to get you caught up real quick. But, but what he's saying is, is that the church, us, it's God's new society of people. And we unpacked this on the retreat Friday night. It was like, we are God's new society of people, saved by grace, adopted in love, called to holiness, and this morning, called to unity. Called to unity. Now, um, we have this, this thing that we say a lot at Veritas Church. Okay, you'll, you'll hear us say this all the time. It's like, if you love Veritas Church, just give us time will disappoint you, right? That's like one of our, our, our tags lines, like Veritas Church, just give us time and we will disappoint you. Because you know what I know about, about myself and about our church is that we're no better. I'm no better than other pastors. Our church is no better than other churches. And so people that are new to our church come up to me and we're like, we just love Veritas Church. Man, you guys are on mission. We love this, the, you know, just everything that you guys are doing to, and, and as they're talking to me, they'll start kind of talking about, you know, the church they left, and it starts to get a little negative. I'm like, you know what? Here's what I know for sure. And I'll tell them this. I'm like, this conversation you're having with me about your pastor, I'm pretty sure you'll be having with another pastor about me in a couple years after I also disappoint you. So, so let's, let's be real, all right? Let's not take ourselves too seriously here. And we see this in Ephesians 4. And, and this is such a critical point in the book of Ephesians. The structure of this book goes like this. The first three chat, it's a letter to this church in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey. And, and Paul's writing to this church. God had done revival there. It was amazing work. And he's giving them instructions on how to do church and, and how to be the church. In chapters 1 through 3, he uses a bunch of indicative statements. Indicative are just statements of fact. For example, you are loved. There's no real action required there. It's just a fact. Like, you are loved. You are called. You are chosen. Those, those, that kind of language, chapters 1 through 3. So chapters 1 through 3 is what you're supposed to believe. Like, there's nothing to act on. It's just believe. Embrace it. But chapter 4, verse 1, he turns a corner, and he starts using imperative statements. So an imperative is a command, like it goes from you are loved to love others as Christ has loved you. So now it's a command, it's a, it's a call to action. And I'm going to um, share with you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, and it goes like this. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all 
and in us all. Let's unpack this a little bit. As we said, God is making this new society, new society of sinners saved by grace. And, and he begins, look at chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling. He's bringing unity to everything on heaven and earth. So he's saying, guys, because Jesus is doing this, unifying humanity, taking all of these, you, you know what we do as humanity, we, we form tribes, right? The internet was supposed to be, bring us, bring humanity together with all this sharing of information. And what did the internet do? Like it just isolated us even more into tribes. Now we have these people we like on Twitter and we retweet and we like their stuff and, and it's all the people that we kind of agree with and agree with us and, and then there's all the people over there. I can't believe that, you know, they believe that and, and it's like segmented us and separated us and divided us into tribes of people and, and the book of Ephesians is like, no, like God is destroying all of those barriers that divide us and he's bringing us Together, so he's saying, because God is doing this, the Father is creating a family by unifying everyone under Christ. He's saying, here is your call to action in light of that. Be unified. Live a life worthy of that calling. And he says, he says here, make every effort. And this, this verb in the, in the language here has a sense of, of urgency, it's even like a crisis situation. Paul's saying, do this right now, church. Do this. And he says, make every effort to keep. Okay, just think of those words, to keep the unity. Now, there's a difference between creating something and keeping something. He's not saying create unity. He's saying just keep it. Here's what he's saying is, Christians don't create unity. The Holy Spirit creates unity. It's us. It's our job just to keep it. It's our job to not destroy it. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the, the first thing that he says, he's gonna, this is like a how-to manual on how to live out the gospel as a church community and how to be unified. And, and in John 17, remember when Jesus prays for our unity, he says, by this, you know, people are gonna know that you're dis my disciples, that you love one another. And he, he prays that God would protect their unity. And so Paul is giving us kind of a how-to manual on how to keep the unity of the spirit. So the first thing he says is humility. You guys, unity requires humility. And this word is a, a lowliness of mind. A lowliness of mind. Okay, in the, in the Bible, um, this, is, uh, this is never used, uh, well, before the, the scriptures were written, this word in, in ancient Greek was never used in a positive way. It was a sign of weakness. But Jesus, until Jesus, uh, it was not used in a positive way, but, but in the Bible, it, it, it takes this word and makes it a virtue. It's like, this is a good thing, to be, to be lowly in mind. 
or to some, some have the idea of it's like walking low to the ground, right? I'm humble. I'm not thinking too much of myself. You know, a strong person walks into the room and says, look at me. I'm amazing, right? Bring it. Bring it. I'm here. I've showed up. And a weak person walks into the room and kind of timidly walks away, walks in and is like, I hope someone notices me. Poor me. Like somebody, I had a rough week. I need somebody to talk to me and reach out to me. And, and, and both those are expressions of, of pride. But humility is different. Humility says, humility walks into a room and looks around and sees these people in this room are infinitely valued and loved by God. Each of these people in this room are made in the image of God and, and they are beautiful in his sight. And, and they're, it's more important for me to see them this morning than just to see everything that, that I need and, and, and filling my, my cup. So here's, here's the first point and here's how we're gonna do this talk, all right? So it's not as fun just to say how to, um, you know, how to keep the unity of the spirit. Point number one, be humble. That would be a lame talk, I think. Let's make this talk a little more interesting. So we're going to talk uh, in terms of, like, let's just say for a moment that we, your agenda was to totally destroy Salt City Church. I want to know how to do it. I want to know how to completely destroy the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So point number one, if you're just here, you're just thinking, man, I, I just want to destroy this church. Here's how you do it. Number one, point number one, based on Ephesians 4, when you walk into a room, make sure people know you matter. Like when you come, just, just make a point that, to make sure people know that, that you matter. Okay, that was, that's the idea from, from this, this point here. Okay, but, but point number two, write this one down. Point number two, if you're just wanting to destroy the church, lots of yelling, all caps, and exclamation points, okay? When you're, you know, you're posting on Facebook, you're wanting to communicate your opinions, like, like just do this. Point number two, lots of yelling, all caps, exclamations. Here's where I get that. Because look at, look at what he says in verse two. Be gentle, humble and gentle. This word is strength under control. Strength under control. Aristotle says this is the perfect middle between too much anger and no anger at all. That's what he described this word as. This, this word gentle is like the perfect middle between those two extremes. You guys, the world... The world looks at the cross of Christ and, and they see proof of weakness. Yeah, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Like if he's God, really, he's gonna just allow himself to be crucified. But, and they were mocking him for his weakness. But think about this. Has there ever been a greater display of strength than the cross where Jesus conquered the greatest enemy, death, without the use of force. It was the ultimate sign of strength when he forfeited his rights and made himself obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And Paul is saying to us, church, that's what I want you to be toward each other. I want you to be gentle. So if we take that and we kind of spin it to be, yeah, but what if we, we didn't want to be gentle? Then what we would do is we would, we would be good at yelling at people. We would make a lot of all caps and we would make exclamation points. The second virtue, unity requires patience. Patience. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Here's what I think is interesting. In 1 Corinthians 13, he defines love. He says, here's what love is. Love is what? Love is patient. Love is patient. First thing out of the chute. First thing out of the chute. He says, be patient. Okay, here's, here's, how, I, here's how I am. Um, I remember when we first started Veritas, there was a book that was written, and everyone was reading this book, and I, and I, I read this book, and all of a sudden, I came to our elder meeting, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe this book. This is heresy. It's wrong. And this week, I'm going to preach a sermon on this book. And our, our elders were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, you're not. Like, you're just mad. You're just mad. That's not love. Love is patient, Right? Like, we get it. You're mad. That's wrong. And, and yes, maybe people will go to hell if they believe that. But your outrage is just going to exacerbate the problem. It's going to make it worse. Here's what we see. I think Paul is saying is that instant outrage is not love. And guess what I find in social media is that social media is like an instant outrage machine, right? I mean, that's like the point. Something ticks you off, let the world know. And I think what Paul would say to us is that your Facebook posts, what you put on Twitter, what you hashtag, could potentially destroy the unity of Salt City Church. It could potentially destroy the unity of your connection group. And I'm, I think if Paul had Twitter, I think he would say to the Gentiles, hey, guys, don't post your political rants about the Jews. Like, I know you're mad that they're all here and that they're, you know, not eating pork and doing their thing and not going to the Temple of Artemis. And, you know, they think they're better than you. But, like, we're trying to bring Jews to Gentiles together. I think he would say to the Jews, guys. Take it easy on the Gentiles, right? And, and I think that my encouragement to us would be next time you are outraged, apply this by taking 10 minutes, take some deep breaths, think it over before you click post, all right? Now, I think that's what he would say. And I think if you stop and reread what you're posting and you think about it for a minute, I think it's gonna spare you some heartache and pain. So my mom's, uh, here's what happened to my mom. She's kind of new to the whole iPhone thing and, and texting and, and emojis and all that. And so, and so what she did is um, she was, uh, her friend texted her and she said, Linda, um, I, I think it's too cold. It was like 30 below zero. She's like, I think it's too cold. I think I'm going to skip yoga today and blah, blah, blah. And, 
And so my mom, uh, she's, she's 70. Uh, she, she texted back, understandable. And, and I don't know how. I don't know how this happened. It could only happen to my mom. She clicks on the middle finger emoji after understandable. Send. I mean, I can't imagine this. Like two 70-year-old ladies texting back to each other like, it's too cold to go to yoga. Understandable, middle finger. And this woman responds. My mom flipped this woman the bird on text. And her response was, Linda, I'm honored to be the first person you've ever flipped off in your life. <laughs> My mom's like, ah! you know, I did what? I don't know if she thought it was the thumbs up or what, but it happened, all right? Here's what I'm saying. Like, if you would just take a moment and stop and do what Paul says and be patient, uh, reread it before you post it, think about it. It might save you some heartache. All right, all right. Here, so, so, um, Okay, I guess the third point, if you are wanting to destroy the church out of that, what Paul just said, be quick. Number three, be quick to tell exactly how you feel. Like, you get a thought, make it known. Like, make sure you do it right away, all right? Just, just that's, if you want to destroy the unity, just like express your opinions and do it quick, right? All right, the second thing, or the, the fourth thing before we make, before we throw it up on the screen, look, look at what he says, unity requires Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. This word forbearance. I, I think here's, here's how I would say it in our vernacular. Tolerate annoying people. Tolerate annoying people. So I, I want to I tell you this, this story about my connection group. Okay, we've got this... This is crazy. We've got this annoying guy in our connection group. All right? And, and this guy, here's, here's the thing. Like, he actually leads our connection group. And, and he is the classic connection group leader that talks too much. You know, it's like he uses his platform to, like, re-preach the sermon you know what I mean? And you're just like sitting there, like, we get it, we get it, we get it, right? We didn't come to hear another sermon. And so he always, you know, and here's the other thing, always says we're going to start at 7 and at 8.30. That never has happened. It always starts late and it manages to go past 9 o'clock, all right? It is so annoying. My wife, it drives her nuts, okay? So um, always late. Here's the thing, praise, um, praise too long. When he throws out a question, he will end up answering it. And it's, it's like when somebody shares something and gets vulnerable and like is sharing something they're struggling with or, or maybe the, you know, it's like this person, our leader is like, will like quote a Bible verse at him. Like, duh. Okay, here's the problem. I'm the connection group leader, right? That's me, okay? Like, I am the problem in our connection group. And there are, there are some annoying people in our group. But I think if I'm just to, like, take a step back and be real about it, like, I think I might be that guy, right? And here's what I know. 
Like all of us are that guy at some point. I love, I love it. Um, the, the London Times did this. this uh, they asked people to write in to their editor, to write editorials and say like the question was like, what's wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton wrote in and he said, dear sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton. It's like, what's wrong with the world today? Me. Sincerely, Mark. You know, it's like, that's the problem. So here's the point. Okay. Um, here it is. Number four, stick with your close friends and stay as far away connection, from connection groups as possible. All right, if, if you want to just like, you're just like, man, I, I kind of want to just destroy the unity of the church, then just like make sure you only stick with your close friends. And whatever you do, don't join a connection group, all right? Because here's what connection groups, Drew is talking about connection groups. Hey, you should jump into a connection group. You, you know what we do as pastors? We oversell and underdeliver. all right? That's our, that's our motto with connection groups. And we even say things like, Dude, connection groups, like we're going to do life together. It's going to be awesome. Guys, the only people who do life together are people in prison, okay? It's like we do life together, all right? So next time you hear that phrase, like do life together, that's like classic pastor speak for this is going to be awesome, which means it's totally not going to be awesome, right? And there's a reason that churches don't do connection groups, right? It's right. It's a reason they only do like Sunday school classes and we teach classes and we do this because people don't really have to get close enough together to see the junk in each other's lives. And pretty soon someone's going to start sharing stuff and you're like, oh, wow. And you start having to carry each other's burdens and you have to start confessing your sin. But Paul says, yeah, the church is full of sinners but it's the only place to be a Christian. And the way that we are called to live out the gospel is by bearing with one another in love. And the only way you can do that is if you are close enough to another person in this room to have to bear with them. That's why we do connection groups, because we want to live this out. All right. Next thing he says, bear with one another in love, love. All four virtues that we talked about are summed up in this one command, love. And here's, here's a couple things I, I just want to point out quickly. Um, Proverbs 19.11, it says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all. Love each other deeply because love, listen, love covers a multitude of sins. Next time you feel wronged by a person in this room, here's what you need to do. Let it go. Don't slander them. Don't go to someone else and say, can you believe what this person did to me? Just do what Paul is saying. Bear with one another in love. And as Peter says, love covers a multitude of sins. If, if you are wronged in a way that, that 
you're hurt and you feel like you need to, to go to them, to talk to them about it, then you should go to them. You should talk to them about it and say, man, this really, like when you said this, that, that hurt me or I took it this way and, and it was hurtful. Uh, you can do that, but, but there are times where you just need to let it go. My mom um, was in, uh, my parents were in Costco um, uh, last week and they were telling me the story and, and there was this couple and, and my dad's walking through the frozen food section and he's like, he sees this guy, and he's like, Matt, I haven't seen you in 30 years. And he goes up, and he gives him a hug. And I actually remember as a kid going over to Matt's house. Matt was an elder at the church with my dad. And then he's like, oh, is Lynn here? And, and he's like, oh, yeah, here she comes. And so his wife, Lynn, walks over. And my mom goes up to her and she's like, Lynn, I haven't seen you in 30 years. And she goes to give her a hug. And Lynn goes like this. And she says to my mom, I have memories. And she just walked away. And my parents were, I was like, what happened? Like, I remember them leaving and they got a bunch of other people in the church to leave with them. And some staff person, uh, it was actually my youth pastor that mentored me, he had said something like in a, in a message to high school, he said something like sucks or something that was, oh, it was offensive. I can't believe my 15-year-old heard that word. And she has memories. <laughs> Let it go. You have let this fester for 30 years. And this couple made their greatest attempt to destroy the church. And my friend would say, I almost quit ministry because of this family and all these people that they gathered to try to get me fired. This is one of my dearest friends. Just talked to him before the retreat and asked him to pray for me. This is, this is how people destroy the unity of the church. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians is you guys have lawsuits among one another. You're taking each other to court. And he's like, here's a, how about this? Try this. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather just let someone sin against you and you take one for the team? How about that? How about look at the cross and do what Jesus did? Maybe that will help us be unified. And so point number five, if you were just wanting to destroy the unity of Salt City Church, try this one, get offended easily. And make sure, and as you're doing it, make sure people know you're right. You know, I'm sure Matt and Lynn on their way out are like, we know what the Bible says. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Just, just make sure you get offended easily and, and make sure that people know you're right. Okay. It's a sobering thought that our selfish agenda could potentially destroy the unity of the church. But look at how he ends his exhortation in verse four. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, 
one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Listen, church, the basis of our unity is not just love. It's also truth that binds us together in unity. If we are not unified in our doctrine, in what we believe about our one Lord, our one faith, then we will be destroyed. He makes seven statements, this one body, he's saying it's a universal, it's a multiracial, multi-socioeconomic, multi-generational. That's why our church is all generations and we encourage older people, not just, we don't just want to be a college church, we want to be, we want to be diverse in race, in generations, and we want to come together, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, that's Jesus, one faith, one baptism. I think he's maybe referring to the new birth, this, this idea of being born again, one God and Father. You guys, unity requires shared belief. And we know this is not, it's not only true in Christianity, right? It's also true in the world, right? I mean, I probably wouldn't make a great member of the Society of Women Engineers, right? I wouldn't show up and be like, hey, I want to be on the board. I'm not a woman. I'm not an engineer. Uh, probably wouldn't be a great idea for me to jump into the Atheist Club or the vegans of Iowa City. Like, I love meat, right? Like, I have a big family, and so, like, I shoot a deer, and I grind up the meat, and I feed our family, and, like, I love meat. It's good. I probably wouldn't be a great member of the Vegans of Iowa City Club, right? There's, there's certain beliefs that just bring people together. Well, for us as a church, we have to remember that, that doctrine matters. Um, I love the statement that, like, Gospel doctrine creates gospel culture. Like if you uh, embrace the gospel, like it creates all these other things that Paul is talking about. And there's a temptation for us in America to water down our doctrine and our beliefs, to make it more palatable and more accommodating for everyone who disagrees with us. And it's becoming more and more difficult in America and in the church to hold to the Bible. And Paul doesn't say there are many bodies, many spirits, many hopes, many lords, many faiths, many baptisms, many gods. He says, no, there's one. So point number six, if you're interested in just destroying the unity of Salt City Church, don't believe anything in the Bible that you or culture find offensive. Just like if you come across something in the Bible that you disagree with, just be like, that offends me and I don't believe it. And that will be one way to destroy the unity. You guys, my connection group, um, the third year of our church, uh, one of the hardest things that I experienced in 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 the life of our church was there was a couple that was divisive in the way of 
we would come across a passage of scripture and they would just be like, did God really say? Like, we can't really believe that. And it's that ancient voice of the serpent that whispers those words. Did God really say dot, dot, dot? I think this is a great litmus test for you. If you have an opinion, it's always a good idea to ask yourself the question, where did I get that opinion from? Did it come from the Bible or did it come from the culture? There was a, we were looking at different places on campus to have our leaders meetings and we went to this uh, kind of mainline denominational church that had a building on campus and, and uh, one of our staff guys walked in and on the wall there was a, there was an, uh, a flyer and it was inviting people to a Bible study and here was the invitation to the Bible study. It said, come, do this Bible study, seven o'clock Wednesday nights and it said this statement, we take the Bible far too seriously to take it literally. Doesn't that just send chills up your spine? I mean, we take this book far too seriously to take it literally. And here in the words of Beth Moore, I just want to land with this. She said this, quote, She said this uh, at the last Passion Conference in 2017. She said, you will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in this generation to sacrifice truth for love's sake and you will rise or fall based on whether you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love? And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Keeps the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you have called us into your family. And I know that in my family, um, we kind of bicker and argue and fight, but our family is a place where people are accepted and people are loved. And there's really nothing that my kids can do about it because they're just loved. And God, this family is no different. And I pray that this church would be a place that people come and they hear truth and they experience a culture of grace and love. God, would you make us that church that is a city on a hill? God, in this city where people are divided based on their socioeconomics, based on their race, based on their political views, based on their views of what 
should happen in different school districts and local politics. God, let this be a place that models the unity of the Holy Spirit and the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name and that we would be gathered together under the head of Christ. And as we worship, would you draw us together? And I know that as I look at this list of six things, God, I'm convicted that I have done all of these things. As we sing this song, um, I just would encourage you to reflect on this a little bit. And maybe, maybe you're like me. You're looking at their list and like, whoa, I've done that. I've done that. And we would just come humbly to Jesus. And as we worship, just kind of come to the cross. And just let's declare the praises of our one Lord who is exalted over all.